now back to the Matt Mosley Show on ESPN Central Texas. It is Matt Mosley, the Matt Mosley Show, and a man who's getting ready to, to maybe go watch a movie with his family, holiday fair, who knows what they'll go see. Maybe it's one of the, maybe it's, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see. Uh, it is uh, Kevin Longquist on three sports Covers SMU, covered Baylor for a long time. Always loved getting his take on Baylor recruiting as well as Baylor staff hires. In fact, his alma mater, the Bears, just went and took uh, one of the uh, staff members there at uh, SMU from the Hilltop. But, uh, Kevin, congrats, by the way, on uh, calling. Uh, in fact, Robbie Jones was supposed to be on our air just the other day. It was, but uh, Alito wins another state title, and Kevin has been on the broadcast for a while, but, boy, he's officially become the voice of the Bearcats. He now does play-by-play. Kevin, that had to be a thrill to be on that game. It was. um, You know, when you uh, have an opportunity – I just finished my 18th season with Alito uh, and my first full year to do them play-by-play. I've done some games here and there when Jeff Williams are – former voice uh, had conflicts uh, with TCU basketball, that sort of thing. But yes, uh, this was a great honor to do this. And what was fun about it was the fact that I got to see this Alito team a little bit differently in the championship game because they fell behind and they had to find a way to figure that out. And Matt, I had a stat going into that game for the duration of the season that they had trailed for a total of 14 minutes and 26 seconds all year before they fell behind it, before they were trailing for the first quarter plus against Smithson Valley. And of course we all know that uh, they spotted them at eight point lead and they wound up winning 51 to eight. I've seen a lot of great Alito teams. Of course, I've seen 11 of these 12 uh, state championships, which is of course is a Texas record. And I would say that this team is right up there with the 2013 team. That was probably maybe the most dominant team because that was the one that scored a thousand points that season. Yeah, and I just noticed that the program director of that radio station that has Alito uh, football, Mark Phillips, was an old radio buddy of mine from my days at ESPN Central Texas, and we crossed paths a lot, so that's pretty cool. And that quarterback, of course, was the kid I wanted Baylor to go after. They eventually did. They were a little bit late to the party. Hoss Haney now will go to TCU, and uh, I do think that is one, Kevin. Uh, you, you don't have to tip your hat to me very often, but I do think that's probably one of the few times Mosley's tried to give you an early tip <laughs> on a kid, and you were a little hesitant to jump on board. I now think you have uh, jump in, jumped in head first. Uh, yeah, I did. In fact, it was fun because over the last couple of years, I got to know Haas pretty well, and uh, I have a podcast at a local uh eatery uh every monday night uh, or at least we had through the football season and i had hoss on about four or five times during the season and it was fun just getting to know him that way a little bit more without him wearing shoulder pads after a game for a post-game interview or something Mm -hmm. like that and then just kind of understanding him a little bit more and i think he understands the gravity of what's about to face him because he's going to be enrolling at tcu in january just like just everybody else on that class alito had seven kids signed either with Power 5 schools, Division 1 schools at the FCS level, like your uh, 
Stephen F. Austin's, and then uh, one at the JUCO level. So that's a pretty impressive yeah. class for them to have that. And so, you know, but for Haas, I, I think for him, it's going to be an important spring for him just to understand what's going to be expected about playing quarterback. Yeah. Because that position is going to be really fluid there for Sonny Dykes' program. Um, it sounds like they do like Josh Hoover, but of course they also got another kid in there, I think. And so, but it's a but I think for all these kids now who are going to be enrolling in January for spring football is don't assume that you're going to try and compete for the starting job. What you need to do is make sure that you understand yeah. how the business of college football goes before you actually set your precedent in there and then try to make your mark. And then once you can survive those first couple of months, then you can be a better football player in your time there at, at your school that you go to. Okay, you followed Baylor for a long time. Um, I asked you the other day in preparation for a big visit to just take a peek at the class, um, uh, yeah. and, I, and I think you have. Now, Daquan Finn comes in as a transfer from Toledo. Huge numbers. He and Sawyer yeah. Robertson will get it on for the starting spot. They bring in Nate Bennett, a, uh interesting quarterback, out of uh, out of the Los Angeles area, who uh, parents went to Baylor, has a family history there. We'll see, you know, how that goes. I think on paper, and of course, according to On Three and your old place rivals, probably not one of the greatest classes numbers wise the Bears have had. They've had fifteen sign, but like always, I think they're very happy with some of the players they brought in. What struck? What kind of grabs your attention about this class? I, I tell you one thing I did like, man, get me a Lorena kid. Get me a local. One, one of the things that's happened in recent years is they've, they've, not, they've not kind of protected their home territory all that well, and, they, and they've lost their grip on, on southern Dallas County. And that, they've tried to solve that by hiring Keenan Hall, the SMU running backs coach. But give me your overall view of this Baylor class. Well, obviously, you know, the fact that they held on to Jaden Porter, who was actually their first commitment for that 2024 class, because uh, he committed to them, I think, way back in 2022, Matt. Uh, that's good that they held on to him. Very talented wide receiver. I've always been a big fan of their running back in Joseph Dodds. Uh, he, he committed to them right before I left. And, of course, they hung on to Mason Dawson, who is also a, another Baylor legacy. So that's good. Um, you know, the, the, two, the two guys that really hurt, and we talked about Brendan Booker a couple of weeks ago uh, when I was on last about the linebacker from DeSoto who wound up switching to Stanford and then wound up signing with SMU. That hurt at the beginning of the summer for them. And then, you know, it was ironic, too, because I had Bo Tate uh, as the last Baylor commit that I ever covered here, the kid out of uh, Utah. And then it was unfortunate to see him switch to Stanford. But overall, I think, you know, for Baylor's perspective where they're at, um, it's, it's kind of where I thought this class was headed anyway, barring anything major that they've been able to secure from the high school or JUCO ranks. You kind of do the best you can when you get that stage in it because you're kind of locked in and there's not very much to, there's really nowhere to go up. You can only go down. And unfortunately, they did. But I think just getting guys like those two guys and the Chris Wokema, um, you know, him, I think is important for that. I've always liked Chris as a safety. So I think he's a guy that can develop into somebody pretty solid for them. And then to your point about the transfers, I, I think it's going to be interesting for Baylor as far as their quarterbacking situation is concerned uh, with Daquan Finn out of Toledo. Big numbers, of course, what, what he did with that uh, MAC program there. And some people have felt, and I've read some tweets, of some people believe that 
he's really going to be the one that if he doesn't win the starting job over Sawyer Robertson, that would be shocking if that didn't turn out to be the case. Um, I, I will say this, just little snippets that I heard here and there, nothing of great, great value, Matt. But one thing I did hear is that it, it sounded like Baylor's NIL program for football, which is really kind of in shambles at about the time I left, kind of got, got, got itself together toward the latter half. And I always said about their NIL program, I said, it's probably not going to make a huge deal from the high school recruiting class for 2024, but it can probably help in terms of the portal for 2024 and then perhaps really be in better position for 2025 on the high school level. Yeah, I, 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 that's an interesting point. I think 2025, they've already made some inroads and they're, and they're doing some interesting things with that class. And I, I think the NIL, the money's going to be up. Uh, I don't know, you know, Baylor doesn't put out their exact numbers, but I do think it's going to be up. And, and, um, in quite a bit, like they're going to double the amount uh, that'll be with football. So I think that I is, think uh, lesson, Matt, I think, the, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. I think the one lesson to be learned from the NIL is don't just be running around waving your hands with wads of cash and saying, we can get you here. We can get you here. It, it's, it's basically uh, scrutinized shopping. You want to be the, you want to look for the right fit and for the right guy that's going to be worthy of the dollars you're going to spend on him. And that, is, that even goes for the, uh, the the women's sports as well. But for football, you just don't want to go after spending money. You just go spend it. You want to spend it wisely. And I think that's one of the things that we've learned over the last few years. I mean, I, that's one thing that I've really gotten to understand a little bit more about SMU's two um, NIL collectives, where they've been really, really shrewd about the guys that they've gone after and what they want to do and what the, how they want to secure those guys. But they also don't want to just go chase – to chase that's that's not the way to do it and i'm not yeah. saying it only from an smu point of view but that has to be the kind of the rule of thumb for all these schools that are going to be heavily invested with nil is uh do keenan hall how many of those running backs that you, they uh smu brought in they got some guys in the portal obviously that didn't work out like some four and five star types that either went to alabama or other uh big time places end up back home at smu Tell me, uh, how much of an impact did Keenan Hall have at SMU, and how much do you think he could help the Bears? Well, I think he did a great job managing the room because the one thing about SMU's running game this year, Matt, was that they didn't have to rely on one guy to carry the load for them. I mean, they really distributed the majority of the carries between L.J. Johnson, the Texas A&M transfer, Kamar Wheaton, who was already there, but he was a transfer from Alabama, then Jalen Knighton, who everyone calls Rooster, but he he's a Miami kid, so Rhett Lashley knew him, and so the the way and Knighton was really huge for them uh, in the last two games, especially in the AAC championship game against uh, Tulane down in New Orleans. But the way those three guys were used, I mean, and, and L.J. Johnson going back, and he was really big in the big win at Memphis uh, back in earlier November. And the interesting thing about what Keenan did was that whatever back was going to be the primary back of use going into that game that they, that they could adjust their style to because LJ is more of a North South guy. Rooster is kind of a guy that will go, you know, will bounce off of, you know, if a hole is closed and he can kind of go through, he can hit the, you know, those stretch plays, that sort of thing. And Kamar is kind of the same way like Knighton, maybe not as big, but they were very productive, whichever the case may be. And that was the one thing about SMU's offense. They're the running game averaged about it. Off the top of my head, I just looked at it the other day. I think it was like 180, 185 yards per game. 
So balanced out their passing game. And as far as what Keenan can do for Baylor's running game, I think it's just a matter of making sure that you keep your fresh bodies and if and making sure that the styles will fit and that the offensive line and the game plan will be a fit for whoever. I mean, obviously he's got to understand with what Jake Spavel wants to do with the running game, and that's probably what they're doing right now, is getting a feel for what can we do with the backs that are here that can make a difference, and what can we do to get the most out of them. I, I think the thing that really shocked me, Matt, about Baylor's running game is, you know, just watching last year when in 2022 – when Richard Reese was so close to a 1,000-yard season and didn't hit it, he needed about, what, 75 yards the last two games to get there and didn't even come close to it. And then he just fell off the charts this year. I don't know if it was injury or just whatever the issues were with the offense other than the offensive line being poor. But that's a guy that I still think has something in the tank and something to give, and they've got to find a way to get him going. And I would assume uh, that, that they feel like Bryson Washington can help him in some respect too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That that's good. that's going to be interesting, and that is good to know about SMU's uh, running game. Uh, it's been been really strong. It's been a great year for SMU. Kevin Longquist with us. Last, I was going to bring up this lawsuit. Boy, you know I went to law school. Love a good law, holiday lawsuit. I think anytime <laughs> if you're going to file a lawsuit, do it right before Christmas and uh, and just kind of share in the joy of the holiday season. The university alleges, um, uh, this is Florida State now, uh, against the ACC, chronic fiduciary mismanagement and bad faith in the way the ACC has handled <laughs> its multimedia rights. And, um, and then the answer came back from the ACC commissioner and the Virginia president, um, who's the chair of the ACC board of directors, the lamented... Florida State's, quote, unprecedented and overreaching approach in a statement. I mean, what you have here is an angry school. You, you, have, you have a sense of entitlement because for years, Florida State was one of the big bad bullies of college football, and they win in 13 games. They go 13-0, don't get in. So they're, they're angry about that combined and so they got to have somebody to blame it on and you can only do so much tweeting against kirk herb street and espn right you can't really (laughs) sue kirk herb street so they've now turned to the acc kevin um to me this is you know you got to settle in for a long legal fight what will happen at the end of it if they truly are going to go the 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 ACC will work out some type of settlement, but I I think we're pretty uh, pretty that'll be a pretty uh, good way down the ro- uh, you know down the road. Yeah, and I think the fact that the ACC actually filed the suit yesterday, which was to me more of the bombshell than what Florida State did today with their you know smoke filled room of board of trustees who were tone deaf to everything. I think everyone's still this. I, I equate this match to basically like a three week tantrum that Florida State's been on because of the fact that they got snubbed from the college football playoff, okay? And I think that's really what the – this has just been absolute. – I'm going to just say it, and everyone's going to say, well, he's an SMU guy, and, he, and his program just got into the ACC. And I'm not going to deny any of that, but if you just look at it from a 10,000-foot level, this is nothing but Florida State throwing this tantrum. This is the first time they've had a great season, pretty much going back to the Jameis Winston year when they got to the uh, playoffs, and I think that initial year in 2013 – maybe it was 2013 or whatever, and then they got drilled by Oregon. And, and so I, I think 
you know, they're going to have to. The, the funny thing about all this is that the grant of rights, when they're when you listen to them today or read the, or read notes or whatever it was you were reading on social media or whatnot, they acted like they had never seen this thing about the grant of rights. So they were totally blindsided. And I'm like, you cannot claim ignorance for something that you absolutely signed on to or and that sort of thing. And I'm telling you right now, this $572 million, which they acknowledge that they would probably have to pay. And if I'm the ACC, I would hold them and say, saying, what's your best offer for us to leave? I'd say $572 million. Because then you, because that, what that does is that that's essentially at least twice the value of what Florida State's athletic department budget is, okay? And then you'd be asking, really, to some extent, if you're not going to go uh, into any other funds, uh, to go, you know, to pay for any kind of exit fee, if you are granted that, you're going to be asking Florida taxpayers to help pay your exit fee from the ACC. And keep in mind, you've got a school down in Gainesville who pretty much hates you, and those uh, state residents uh, who are who are Florida fans saying, "Really, I don't really want to pay for this." So this is where you get into this Pandora's boxing. I think it's going to be harder than what Florida State really thinks it's going to be. Does that mean they're going to leave? Who knows? I, I think we've got so many twists and turns here, but I think the fact that it sounds like to me that the ACC is going to dig in on this and make it as hard on Florida State as possible. You know, the other thing I would say to this to Florida State is that they have to understand, too, that if they were to think that they could go to either the Big Ten, because I don't think they'll ever go to the SEC or the SEC would take them, to be honest with you. But if they went to the Big Ten or the Big 12, because I know that's been thrown out there, it doesn't mean that they're going to be it doesn't mean that they're going to have an automatic ticket to get to the playoffs. And let's keep in mind too, that playoff is going to open up to 12 teams next year. So here's, here's the moral of the story for Florida state. Don't have your starting quarterback get hurt against Northern Alabama. Why did he even play in that game to be, let's start with that. Yeah, it comes back to that. And uh, I think what you're saying is correct of what'd you call it? Like a three week tantrum, and um, much. and and by the way, these people, even these people in bow ties or whatever they wear in these upper rooms, they can throw some tantrums with the best. And uh, uh, and by the way, these boards love to get involved, don't they? My goodness, oh. I mean, I, um, I, uh, it's uh, it like Houston. What's his name at Houston? Dana thought he was safe, didn't he? And all it took yeah. was one board member to say, "Ah, oh, sorry, Dana, we're going to move on." It took one board member, um, and it just that board member happens to have all the money. I mean, yeah. and um, it's uh, fascinating how all this works. But I'll, I'll, make uh, one, yeah. I'll make one other. I'll make one other point on this, Matt. Too is that if you think about the playoff and the NY six stuff, you know, because my alma mater SMU pretty much got the same shaft that Florida did, or Florida State did, because after they beat Tulane in the AAC title game, there was a lot of expectations that they were going to get the NY six bowl bid. Okay. And then they get passed over for Liberty. So now they got to go to the Fenway Bowl to play Boston College uh, next Wednesday, the 28th, out in Fenway Park. And, yeah, there was disappointment. But I think from SMU's point of view, and, of course, there's a lot of unbridled, a lot of unbridled excitement because it's the first conference championship since 1984. But I also think, too, they looked at this and said this is still an opportunity because they're going into the AAC – or, excuse me, ACC – next year and they're going to be playing a future opponent who's actually going to be on their schedule in 2024 in the Eagles. So it's kind of like, if you will, a dress rehearsal and there's a lot of eyes, maybe not from Florida state, but there's going to be a lot of eyes yeah. watching them in, that, in well, that game. And so there's some pressure for them to maybe win that game. 
there's nothing like scoring a touchdown and then running into the green monster. There's or just the really pole. <laughs> somebody asked right. me, by the way, Matt. Somebody asked me, "Does what kind of activities are the teams going to have up there?" Uh, for uh, you know, because you know you get up there like three because SMU's going up to Boston uh, on Christmas Eve, so Sunday. And, and I said, "Well, they always have." I said, "If you check the bowl website, they probably have the list of activities." And I said, "I said I really don't know what they're going to be doing." I said, "Maybe the two teams are going to be playing ring around the pesky pole. I don't even know." And so that's. But. <laughs> <laughs> what movie are you taking the family to see now? Well, that hasn't been determined yet, but I'm lobbying oh, okay. for Napoleon, and so I don't know if I'm going to get shot down because I'm the history uh. buff, and I'm going with two Razorbacks and a Crimson Tide. Uh, so you you tell me how you think how that's going to score in this family. I, well, I saw Napoleon. Uh, you know, make sure you hit the restroom beforehand and pack pack a lunch. I mean, it's a <laughs> it's it's an all day sucker, and uh, and you'll love all the French. Uh, the, you know they they have they've got great English. They speak perfect English. Okay, you you have an army of the French. They don't speak a word of French. All right. Uh, y'all have a good one, and uh, and uh, Merry Christmas to the Longquist family. Merry Christmas to you, Matt, and the Mosley family, and uh, always good to catch up with you, my man. Be good, okay? You bet. There he goes, Kevin Longquist, and all points in between. All right, Derek Smith is set to join us at 4. We got Baylor basketball tonight. We'll be uh, getting you ready for pregame. Uh, hits at about 5.30. And uh, but next we have some NFL blitz package for you. That is next. Go Cowboys! This is Dallas Cowboys football 2023. Second and goal. Snap to Prescott. Only heard here.